Classroom management planning and when it doesn't work. I author a great classroom management plan. I come up with a philosophy of education. I come up with the way I'm going to develop the rules with the students. I set out to develop roles for exactly what my paraprofessionals will be doing. I come up with routines and rituals for the students. I type this out. I put it in a binder. I have my artifacts and it looks fantastic. And then I go to implement my plan. September it's working great. October it's working okay. And then mid-October, probably right before Halloween, it starts to disintegrate. It starts with one student and they come in like little angels, but soon their personality starts to come through and they start to become themselves. So the first rule is, and I know this sounds trite and I know this sounds cliche, but I think about the Four Agreements and Miguel Ruiz's uh, philosophy about never take things personally. Now, when you're a teacher, that's hard to do. You have all eyes on you. Oh, the district is watching you, the principal is watching you, you're new, you need tenure, and you're worried that a principal will see you or an assistant principal or a dean will see you not control the class or not control a student, and you're worried. So you take back control. And that's good that you take back control, but then you start to see yourself with grumpy temper and you answer a student back or you show that impatience and all the little eyes, all 32 students, which means 64 eyes, or if you're in a smaller class, it's 12 students, 24 eyes are watching you. And you have started to show that you are tired of little Jimmy or Juan doing what they're doing, little Francesca, and you are going to start reacting. You're not conscious of it at first. You don't exactly know what you're doing because you're doing what comes naturally. You're disciplining the way that you are disciplined. Why not? And so you have to start thinking about those students individually. You've tried all those tier one interventions as PBIS as the tier one interventions are for all students. Those are simple things like standing at the door and greeting students, having healthy rituals and routines, paying attention to transitions, all of those great things, putting up the rules and having great posters up and making sure that there's a calm corner or a mindfulness. You have all those things in place and yet little Francesca and little Juan and little Jimmy, they are not complying with those rules. So we go one step further and we try those tier two interventions. We meet with counselors and we meet with deans and we create those behavior plans. Uh, they're not exactly uh, ones that need parental in, uh, consent. They're those Chicos, check in and check out. The students have a forum and at the beginning of the day they meet with their counselor and at the end of the day they bring the form to the counselor it's a little progress report and if you really have uh, a need for more intervention you have the parents sign it every day 
or you meet in small groups and you teach social skills and you tried all that. You tried all that with a, that small group of students and you, you also try to teach social skills or you try to integrate into literature and those students are not only acting out, but they're starting to really become distracting and disruptive and coming up with behaviors that are making you stop the class dead in their tracks. And you have to deal with that one student, that one student who cannot self-regulate or is triggered by something and you know that, okay, they have an IEP and you get it. And maybe they had a behavior plan in their former school, but you don't have a hold of it. And now you're thinking about what to do next. And if they're a student with disabilities, you can go and you can do more intensive intervention. You can do it with students who don't have disabilities as well. But let's just focus on the student with disabilities for now. And so the Tier 3 intervention, when is that warranted? Some teachers and some IEP teams and some principals feel that persistently disruptive behavior is something like cursing or calling out or it, it, it's just interfering with the lesson. So that's a very low level threshold of intervention. And we want to think about the least restrictive um, environment for students, even when it comes to behavior. So personally, tier Three to me is what you do when all else fails or when you've used up your days um, that a student can be suspended. In most states, students can be suspended up to 10 days. And after 10 days, students with disabilities, that is, students with disabilities must have uh, safeguards in place. And uh, one of them is an MDR, a manifestation of disability review and uh, for purposes of this podcast I will only say that there needs to be a team meeting to determine if the behavior was a result of their disability. I'm not going to go into that one too deeply because I'm still on behavior planning and I don't want to go off on a tangent and so I want to talk about the behavior plan and when to do a behavior plan. So in, I'm thinking that if a student is persistently disruptive, and I'm thinking about the last time when I worked in a preschool setting when we had a Tier 3 intervention for students, and I'm thinking about students who bite or scratch or who engage in really persistently disruptive behavior because this type of intervention requires a lot of teamwork and a lot of time uh, on task, and it also involves a parent signature. So in the upper grades, you, a student may not bite or scratch, um, hopefully, maybe they will, but they might engage in other behaviors which lead them to be uh, need to be suspended for more than 10 days. I mean, hopefully you're doing all the things such as um, positive behavior interventions and supports or restorative practices or preventive positive discipline to prevent suspensions. But let's just say that they are suspended um, more than 10 days for your ladder of discipline, your principal, your dean, your school setting. We need to have a behavior intervention plan. And first, we need to do a functional behavioral assessment. A functional behavioral assessment is trying to find the function of the behavior. So, the theory behind that is all behavior has a function and we need to find the function or the reason that the student is acting out. 
we need to find the triggers and this will help to support the student in the behavior plan because before we determine how to make a behavior plan we have to find the function of it and this is a legal document so before any kind of legal document is implemented at least in most states you need parental uh, signatures so or parental signatures or the signature of a guardian because you need consent now i think there's one state that you you can do a behavior support plan or several states but i'm going to focus on most states for the most part we need that parental signature this is so that the the parent should be involved with this plan it shouldn't be done in isolation it's a team effort and also if the parent is involved in it maybe they can implement the same type of interventions at home so there's consistency communication and clarity the idea behind this plan is to help the student uh, stop the behavior so the first thing we need to do is um, determine what the behavior should be. So a student may engage in many behaviors that disrupt the class. In my opinion, it's better to do a functional behavioral assessment of one target behavior. There are many approaches to FBAs, and some FBAs are done with more than one target behavior, but my vote is to do one target behavior because um, changing behavior is not easy. So we want to set a goal that's realistic. So, uh, and we want to target the one behavior that is changeable. The behavior has to be observable, changeable, and measurable. So we want to make sure that we don't make vague statements like, oh, that student is disruptive or distracting, or um, he makes me feel uncomfortable, but it has to be a measurable behavior, such as, uh, yelling out, cursing, um, tantruming, um, getting out of seat, something that you can count or you can measure the intensity or the frequency. So that's there is a whole lot that goes into this. So let's just keep it simple for now. So uh, we want to figure out some great instruments for measuring um, the behavior and collecting data. So one of the most common um, instruments that we use is called the ABC chart. So we want to find the trigger of the behavior and we we look at the setting event, the what happens before the behavior occurs. So um, with that we look at the A which is the an antecedent, what happened before the behavior um, uh, occurred. So the antecedent could be that uh, a student bothered the student and this happens all the time where one student bothers another there's a conflict in the classroom so this could happen on an ongoing basis or the antecedent could be something like the student acts out during uh, when he has to do uh, work that involves writing or reading so that could be the antecedent the behavior is obviously describing the behavior in objective terms and the consequences are what happens as a result of the behavior it doesn't have to be the consequences such as what the teacher does but what happens so let's say the behavior is that the student yells out and the consequences are that uh, a para says shush that could be the consequences or the student is asked to be quiet or the student 
misses out on instruction. That could be the consequences of the behavior. So we, there's many ABC charts in many forms. Sometimes a district has their own ABC chart and their own functional behavioral assessment, but there are, there are great ABC charts that you could find. And um, some are involve a checklist and some involve describing the behavior. I like the ones that are simple that you can just describe the behavior and put in a time uh, that the behavior occurs. It's important to see when the behavior occurs. So this is a, a simple tool. Uh, another tool is a frequency chart. You can just count the behaviors. So I won't go into too many uh, tools. You can go to behavioradvisor.com. That's Tom McIntyre's um, website, uh, Behavior Advisor. He's a colleague of mine. He's fantastic at, at this work. You can go to pbis.org. They have great ideas, and I can recommend more websites if you like. But moving forward, the idea is to collect this data so we can find the function of the behavior. We want to find the trigger of the behavior, and we want to uh, isolate it as much as possible so that we can come up with strategies to help the student and support the student and hopefully give the student some ideas or some help so that we um, set a goal for decreasing the behavior or finding a replacement behavior. So what is a replacement behavior? We'd have to think about a replacement behavior when we author the BIP. The BIP is the Behavior Intervention Plan, and we author the BIP with a team. And also, we want to invite the parent or guardian in for the uh, behavior plan. So we want to come up with strategies in the BIP. And one of the strategies is to find a replacement behavior for the behavior. So if a student is unable to express themselves and they yell out inappropriate things and they disrupt the class, we want to find a replacement behavior. So a replacement behavior could be ask for a break, learn how to express oneself, learn how to raise one's hand to find um, a more appropriate way of saying that the work is, um, I need help or the work is too difficult, please change the work for me. Another replacement behavior would be to give the student, um, in some cases, a fidget object if they're, you know, if they um, if they can't sit still or if they have ADHD. And there's many good replacement behaviors, but the idea is that your team should come up with a strategy so that the student has something tangible that they can work on and and have strategies for working on it with the team. And also on the behavior intervention plan, you want to decide who is going to implement which strategies. Is it going to be a paraprofessional? Is it going to be the speech teacher? Most of it is going to be the classroom teacher, but you have to come up with it, and the student themselves, obviously. But you have to come up with strategies together on how to um, carry out this plan. This plan is, again, you need consent from a parent in most states. In some states, this is called the behavior support plan, but legally, when a student is suspended, in most states, you have to have a behavior intervention plan because this is a formal plan on helping the student uh, stay in the least restrictive environment. This is my opinion and my interpretation of the law and what a behavior plan is for. 
This plan is also needed when a student is going to um, change settings. For example, if a student uh, is going to go to an alternate suspension site because that's what the, the district wants, um, if a student engages in some persistently dangerous behavior, they would need this plan in place. But let's just say in a regular uh, situation, a behavior plan should help the student within the classroom. And again, we want to um, set a timeline so that we have um, measurable outcomes and we revisit it to see if the plan is working or if the plan can be adjusted. So the best way to do this is with the team. So when is, again, finally, when is tier three intervention warranted? Okay, in my opinion, when all else has failed. And when the behavior is persistently disruptive or dangerous, and let's just take weapons out of the situation for a minute because that's a different story, but let's just talk about a behavior that is, um, that is changeable within the setting in terms of um, holding the student accountable, including the student whenever possible, and including the parents. And students should be included in their own behavior plan, assuming they um, can. Um, when I worked in preschool, we included uh, the students in a, in, in a different conversation, not in the initial bit, but we did talk to the students about their intervention and how we can best help them to change the behavior, um, again, when it's appropriate. So when a classroom management plan is not working for one or two students, we can definitely make adjustments. We can make adjustments to the whole class, and we certainly should drill down and work and decide carefully when Tier 3 intervention is needed. So there's there are many opinions on how to um, engage uh, in uh, functional behavioral assessments. Each district has their own uh, rules, policies, ideas, ways to implement these plans. I personally like the plans that are written out rather than checklists. And I know there's nothing wrong with checklists, but I feel that uh, this is an authored plan that should be authored with a team and that checklists are a great shortcut, but they don't um, always capture everything as a written uh, scripted plan. I also think that interviewing various um, professionals is important to gather data. So I'll just add that quickly to say that there are forms um, that you can get or you can make up your own interview questions to find out more information about student behavior. The kind of information you want to find out is interviewing the parent to find out if the student uh, can, engages in similar behaviors at home to find out if this is a trigger just for school or for home and school, uh, to speak to the speech teacher to find out if the student engages in this kind of behavior in a one-to-one -one setting, uh, and to interview the homeroom teacher, and so on. This has a lot of potential. This is a great data gathering tool. So when tier three is warranted, there's a great amount of information out there. And, um, and I, um, I would like to add that uh, it's not an easy process and it's a time-consuming process, but it's worth, very much worthwhile if needed. 
it's a discovery process. Uh, you get to discover more about the student, you get to discover more about the team, and you get to con converse about um, strategies to help the student. So thank you very much, and good luck with all the uh, behavior planning.